Professor Ufford favored the loveliest woman at the revel with a condescending smile. I suppose you subscribe to the popular fallacy that Henry VIII introduced Morris dancing to England. Sarah Kelling Bitterson shook her head, not only in denial, but also to make sure the underpinnings of her henin hadn't come loose. Why should I? Wasn't it John of Gaunt? Uh, probably. The professor switched off his smile and turned on a supercilious sneer. The theory that the dance may have been inspired by the Morisco, or Spanish Fandango, is of course absurd. My most recently published book offers conclusive arguments for a Flemish origin. Do I gather that you've been reading Terpsichore Totters? Because I happen to know about John of Gaunt? Now quite sure of her henin, Sarah tilted back her head to give Professor Ufford the kind of smile her Aunt Emma had been seen to give a guest who slopped red wine on her white damask tablecloth. Doesn't everyone? That was nasty. Sarah herself happened to be informed on the subject only because her cousin Lionel had backed her into a corner at Aunt Appy's Easter luncheon and talked about Morris dancing until she could think of a nonviolent way to stop him, which was no small task with Lionel. Anyway, she'd managed to stop Professor Ufford. He touched the wide, circular brim of his black straw hat and wandered off, perhaps to find another pretty lady who hadn't yet heard about John of Gaunt. Sarah could have told Ufford where he'd got the idea for his costume, too. That hat, with its crown shaped into a truncated cone wrong end up, had appeared in Van Hyde's portrait of Giovanni Arnolfini and his wife, She couldn't think why the professor had chosen a style that suited him so ill. It hadn't suited Arnolfini all that well either. There was some excuse for Arnolfini, since the costume had no doubt been all the rage back in 1432. But why had the professor gone to so much trouble and expense to get himself up like a pregnant giraffe? His long neck and longer, bonier head stuck up in an almost grotesque continuum above the bulky calf-length cloak. Far too much of his stringy shins stuck out below. The green stretched tights he'd pulled over them were a forceful argument for a middle-aged man's keeping his trousers on. Perhaps Sarah simply hadn't yet adjusted to the medieval mystique. This was the first year she and her husband Max had attended the Billingsgates' annual Renaissance revel. Bill and Abigail were close friends of her uncle Jeremy Kelling. Normally Jem would have been here instead of the Bittersons, This year, however, Jem was yachting with a different set of cronies. Sarah and Max were here on business, though nobody was supposed to know. The Billingsgates' problem was an unusual one for them to become involved with. Stolen paintings, jewelry, and objets d'art were their specialty. This was the first time they'd ever been asked to track down a missing 1927 new Phantom Rolls-Royce. The crux of the matter was that the Phantom shouldn't have vanished at all, considering the lengths to which Bill had gone to keep his precious antique safe. Only somebody closely connected with the family, it seemed, could have got the car away. That was why Nehemiah Billingsgate, to give him his proper name, as almost nobody ever did, had put in a frantic last-minute call to Jem's niece and nephew-in-law instead of to the police. The Renaissance revel had provided a perfect excuse to get the Bittersons on the scene and introduce them to the family's inner circle, along with a good many circumferentials. As soon as they got a chance, they'd have to get together with their host and employer to sort out who was who. For now, Sarah and Max had set themselves to mingle.
Max was taking the assignment as something of a joke so far. He'd insisted on entering this nest of affluent wasps as the merchant of Venice's business rival. His own academic robe, which he'd bought when he got his PhD, and now wore when he had to speak in front of learned gatherings, as he was increasingly asked to do, made an acceptable costume for Shylock. He'd added his father's black yarmulke and suggested carrying a salami to symbolize the contested pound of flesh. Sarah had drawn the line at the salami. I am not going to the Billingsgates' with a man who smells like a delicatessen. It's unprofessional. Besides, Abigail might think you were afraid she wouldn't give you enough to eat. The contrast between a typical Kelling party spread and the amount of food considered minimal at even the smallest Bitterson family affair had been a source of wonderment between them ever since they'd met. Max often had to stop for a hamburger upon leaving the former, and Sarah usually went on a two-day diet after the latter.